You're listening to the Irish Times. I want to take you down memory lane to start this morning, Pat. Okay, go on. I remember a time when on Super Bowl night, you and I, you would be at my house. And when the halftime show would be coming on, I would be putting chicken wings into the oven. Yeah. And pizza, mm. getting ready for the, the night ahead. Uh, I ducked out once Shakira started singing last night. No offence to the lady. She was, I'm sure she was fine. But I'm too old for the Bleeding Super Bowl at this stage. So you didn't even make it to Jennifer Lopez? I, I ducked out. I, I was watching Shakira and I went, "You grand lassie, but uh, there's a half an hour before anybody uh, lifts up a football here again and I'm already falling asleep. So I, I ducked out. Shakira played well. She, did, did she, 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 she gained a lot of yards. Did she? Yeah, she, she covered a lot of ground. Uh, she came through a few in, intense rocks. What she about she went crowd surfing. Oh, Lopez with with the experience she has, like yeah. you know, she she knew exactly what she was doing. I saw somebody tweet this morning that Jennifer Lopez is the same age as Joe Brawley. Is she? <laughs> I don't know. What I have no idea what age Joe Brawley is, but well, I heard I them guess... say last night that Jennifer Lopez is fifty. Yeah, I guess he must be around that as well. Yeah, yeah, she's in good shape. She could definitely uh, have have played a played at least a forward. quarter of that match she'd, last she'd, night. She'd take a mark in the in the for Derry. No, she's playing yeah. forward. Yeah, uh, you stayed to the bitter end. Yeah, I, I for well, we're about to. I suppose we can spoil it for people. The oh yeah, spoiler alert! Uh, this is the you're going to get the Super Bowl yeah, result here. The, if you haven't got it already. Kansas City Chiefs uh, beat the 49ers having been 10 points down going into the final quarter and it looked like the 49ers defence was mm. just going to keep beating back Patrick Mahomes yeah. but as often happens in these things the sort of the dam broke in the fourth quarter and they got three touchdowns in the space of, I think it was five minutes Yeah, and I'm delighted because you'd be delighted for the coach Andy Reid because he's been there so long uh, or he's just been coaching for so long and never got it across. And anybody who's been following the NFL for the last couple of yeah. years can't, but I think... He's awesome. ...be love at Mahomes. Somebody, I saw, I heard somebody say this morning that uh, he has never lost a game where uh, his team have been down double digits. So <laughs> five times, in, 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 no, he's only been playing like three years, yeah. but uh, they've been uh, down by 10 or more uh, five times and he's won all five games. Like, that's insane. <laughs> that is bizarre. And they yeah. were uh, at least 10 points down in every postseason game. Yeah. Like, and, but last night you did think, oh, the 49ers might actually hold out here. But he kind of found a way to do it. And he found some huge plays on third downs that weren't happening in the first the half. The long one to Tyreek Hill was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the one to Watkins. Watkins out the left. Was, or at the right, yeah. Was an incredible one. Yeah. And, uh, and also, I'm a huge Travis Kelsey fan, so I was delighted to see him get a touch. Well, that's as well. purely on the basis of his reality TV show, yes, isn't it? Yes, I had no idea who Travis Kelsey was a few <laughs> years ago until my wife started watching uh, a reality TV show where they tried to find a partner for Travis Kelsey. It was called <laughs> Catching Kelsey, and uh, it was sublime television in the way that only the worst television can be. Who knew that the perfect partner for him all along was Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's always sad when the NFL season is over. Yeah. It's, it's shit, like, the there's, there's Sunday nights through the winter are awesome. It used to always bug me when people used to say about the GA, oh, why, is the, why do we cram the championship into a few months? No other sport in the world does that. Yeah. And the answer is always, yeah, it does. One of the biggest sports in the world jams it all into... The most money-making what? sport on earth. Yeah, into 16 weeks or 18, 18 weeks or something weeks like that. the Super Bowl, yeah. Mm. 
yeah, it's always sad. But uh, it is over, and uh, that is uh, it until uh, next September. Uh, I always do like the way there were dovetails with the like the end of the gas season is exactly exactly when when the NFL starts back. So the, there's always something you can shift your attentions over for Sunday evenings. Attention. Yeah, indeed. I was in Castleblaney yesterday watching uh, Monaghan beat Tyrone in in freezing cold. So. At least the heat will start coming back. That's real things. sport, man. Well, yeah. None know. of this. There was no Shakira there, was there? There was no. There was no Shakira. There was only uh, local lads who thought that they were hilarious, saying, uh, "Just Tyrone aren't the same now when they have to go into Europe, since they're travelling, <laughs> travelling, <laughs> travelling to the EU." <laughs> Any road. Uh, we are going to talk later. We have uh, Emmett Malone. Coming up uh, later on to uh, tis, tis the season of uh, even more FAI stuff after their bailout last week that we're not supposed to call a bailout. But first, Jerry and Gavin are here. How are you lads? Good, thank you. Very well. Uh, uh, of course, Ireland. But uh, let's start with yesterday. Mm. Like the tournament blown wide open by France. Absolutely. Yeah. Blown wide open. Six Nations is on. Um Great for the championship, really. Been, wait, been, been waiting a decade for it, really, haven't we? A decade, yeah, yeah, yeah. As I was saying last week, I think they've only had one top three finish yeah. in the last nine years. Yeah. So they've not been contenders at all in that time. But now they're contenders because they've got that win under the belt. The way the fixers have fallen for them, I don't know if they'll reach such an emotional pitch again right, a week later yeah, at home yeah, to yeah. Italy because, you know, it's Le Rose Beef, it's Le Crunch, it's the England, you know, mm, they, they, mm. they want to beat England more than anybody else in the world. A, lot, a, lot, a bit like a lot of other countries. Yeah. Um, and, of course... Eddie Jones promising them brutality and welcome to test match rugby was just no doubt pinned up on the dressing room yeah. wall of the dream room. They even spoke about it afterwards. So that wasn't very helpful to England's cause and uh, they blew them away. Spectacular first half performance. I mean, compare and contrast, Charles Olivon scoring two tries in his first game as captain with Stuart Hogg fumbling the ball over the line in his first test as captain. Oh, we'll get and, to that. But it just shows you like, you yeah. know, it, he can, he can certainly walk into the restroom with his held, held high yes. and anything he says this week his teammates will now listen to with all yeah. with all the more reason to as well. I thought it was a fantastic performance by them. That being said, uh, England, I think, again, no no Billy Vunapolo, no mm. Maka Vunapolo and then losing um, Manu Tulagi early on. They're their three main ball, ball carriers and they really missed them. You know, they just really missed them. The French mm. defence did a wonderful job on them. Sean Edwards has had an immediate impact. So it's, it's great for the tournament but makes France very much contenders and it makes both the visits now to Twickenham and Paris look pretty difficult for Ireland. It's like you were saying, Gavin, like you, you were flagging, you know, Sean Edwards uh, a month out. Like, what, what was he going to be able to do in the time provided? What, like, what did you see? Urgency. Uh, the way they came up. Um, it, it's, again, O'Gara said it on comms defence, it's this total attitude, you know. Like, France have always had the players. It's not as if they haven't always had these players and they just put coaching structures in and... There you go, you know. Uh, Olivon, who's had a great, really interesting career. Um, Basque guy from Bayonne, went to Toulon, but he was injured a lot. Uh, he's like Oliver Mania, reborn, you know. Mm. There was so many examples of just empowering these guys. But Jerry is right, it was 2018 all over again. You take away the Vunapolas and you take away Tuolagi, who got injured again. Groin injury, looks serious. And England just don't have the same power and they can't make the impact. But, you know, initially it looked like they were going to be in it and they were, the game was kind of... Um, torn apart by the second try which was a bit unlucky um, and mm. we went to Brian McNeese the Irish TMO for a while and he said that it was a glance of Courtney Laws and it wasn't a knock on but the English players didn't stop playing yeah, they presumed a knock on like, that's just like 
people go on about like Stuart Hogg was going on about a schoolboy error. It's not a schoolboy error. It's you don't ever do that. Like that's the first thing that's drilled into you. You play. You play the whistle. You know, like this is every sport. It's and the English. a good schoolboy player, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's at seventeen nil. O'Connell, who was excellent on the BBC, uh, his tone, everything about him. You know, even even his groans and grunts at at mistakes. It was very funny or la- or, or laziness. He was he just said it. He was like, yeah, seventeen nil in this weather because we weren't sure how bad the weather was. It was pretty much no way back. All France had to do was not blow it. And in many years, last year against Wales, last they blew year, it. year before against us. So all they had to do was yeah. just give England the ball and sh- let Sean Edwards' defensive systems come into play. And that's what they did, more or less. There was a brilliant brilliant play where Johnny May dragged England back into it. But it was... Um, Two brilliant tries. Like completely generated out of nothing Teddy Tomac couldn't get a hand on him. No. Yeah, yeah it, was, yeah, it was brilliant. But when your winger is dragging you back into a game in Paris against the French, there's, there's problems. Eddie Jones took it all on himself, said I didn't have enough prep, blamed the cl- half backhanded blamed the clubs, but said, oh, it's on me. Didn't have enough time with them. Mm. But before the game, he was saying, we're just going to roll on from the World Cup. All they did was roll on from the World Cup final. <laughs> but when you have a team, Jerry, like stop playing because of a perceived knock-on, Gavin kind of said it was unlucky. It's not unlucky. That's a team that's not tuned in, surely. Like look at how organised, as he say, Sean Edwards' defence was. But like, were, were England just not up to the pace of the game or what was going on in their heads? No, they weren't really up to the pace of the game. The, the, the sheer intensity of the French start seemed to blow England away, almost catch them by surprise. Um, a few guys turned up, Jerry, didn't mm. they? Like when Marler was uh, showed up, Underhill showed up, but mm. there, a lot in in general, the collective didn't. Yeah. Well, as as, as Rod said in, in in the studio in Virgin Media, like he's seen Owen Farrell drop the ball maybe twice in the last four years, and he's seen it happen twice in one game here. He looked oddly out of sorts. Um, yeah, they they really missed a specialist number eight. The debutant fullback didn't work, so Jones got his selections wrong as well. Um, now that all that being said and done. They still got back and got a bonus point out of it, which ultimately might be might be crucial. You never know. They got a bonus point out of a game they had no right to get a bonus point out of. France nearly blew another big lead again, as they did almost did against Argentina in the World Cup, as they did against Wales last year. But it, it was still a relief for the tournament that that didn't happen because it would have been a crippling blow for France if they'd blown the lead from that stage. And with 12 minutes to go, it was only a 10-point lead all of a sudden. And it looked like, here they go again, maybe France are going to blow this. But they seem to be made of a little bit sterner stuff. The, the, the defence on the line was very defiant. And uh, they've got real momentum now. And they've got Italy at home next week, which means they travel to Wales in round three, almost certainly on nine points. They won't have to play as well again next week to get another win and probably get a bonus point too. We have to mention Dupont. Oh he, yeah, he did. absolutely. His, his, um, I think he's my new favourite player. Yeah, he's been around a while, you know. He's, he's well, been a while. He's been around a year. No, he's really. 26, 27. No, no, no. He's he been 22. Is yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Dupont. Anyway, sorry, my apologies. But he's, oh, sorry, in my eyes, as soon as I saw him, I thought, okay, this is the guy. He's been knocking it for a couple of years. But his... His speed and uh, the way he nailed Willie Hines, like Willie Hines, the, the sub scrum half for England, drifted off a scrum. And it was, a su- it was the absolute key moment for England to get back into the game. Drifted off a scrum because he had no number eight. And he, didn't th- he, think he, would, he thinks he had time to stall, look. And as he looked, Dupont raced out and put in a brilliant man and ball hit. It was the defensive play of the weekend. And, and knocked, probably knocked won the ball the out of the guy's hand. This, again, a veteran scrum half mm. who just got completely done by, didn't think this guy has the pace or the power to hit me like that. And 23. He's 23, there okay. But he, he was, it's, I, I didn't realise he was so quick. It, yeah. it, I knew he had all the other uh, mm. skills, but his pace and his, his speed his of footwork, talk. His footwork, that, that uh. break he made out of nothing going down the blind side and putting Olivon over was absolute class. And he can do that. 
He's a great support player. He really and knows what the try line is. He's got a very high strike rate. Like, like all French nines, he can play 10. <laughs> so mm. And Toulouse have often played him at 10 mm. but um, because they've got, they've got Sebastian Bezzi there as well. But I think they erroneously played him against Leinster 10 last year in the RDS or the Aviva, one or the other. But Gauthier won't do that now. No, he Gauthier won't. won't drop him either. That's no, another thing. No, he won't. Um, and Entomac played very well at 10 as well. And... Uh, You've got real power in the midfield with Vakatao, mm. as we know. It's great to see Teddy Thoma back because he has real urgency, real cutting edge to their attack. Although, as Shane Horgan pointed out in Virgin Media as well, his work rate in defence is, <laughs> if he doesn't improve it, he'll be out of that team because mm. Sean Edwards will demand better from him defensively. But they've a lot going for them now. They've got a, a young side, proper coaching structure for perhaps the first time in the professional era. And uh, like I said, they're real contenders now. It's great for the tournament. First time in 10 years. Sean so. Edwards made Fiku, the, uh, Fiku, who has been knocking around for a while, is their, very young, but their most capped player, probably, I think, in the team. He was their 12. He made 18 tackles and he became, the, he's got all the attributes, athleticism and all that to be world class and he became their defensive leader. And every time there was a huddle, you could see him, he was chit-chatting away about, they were, when they were out the gate, 20 points up or whatever, he was in the huddle going, I think he was pretty much saying, let's nail them, you know, let's, <laughs> let's really humiliate them. First time they f- they'd failed to score in the first half of a Six Nations game in 32 years. Yep. Mm. That's kind of alarming statistic. Mm-hmm. So let's go back uh, to Saturday, Jerry. Uh, what what do we take away from from a win like that? Well, Sufficient on to the day and not a whole lot more? Well, first off, it was a win. Mm. Imagine we were all sitting here mm. reflecting on a draw and Scotland came within inches of a draw on about 10 successive occasions yeah. in that penultimate drive of the match. And would have been like uh, the last World Cup, the first match after the last World Cup was a, a 16-all draw at home with Wales and it just left everybody deflated. Mm. Wales as much as Ireland because it meant Grand Slam was gone for both teams, Triple Crown was gone for both teams and it would have been very deflating again if that had happened here. So I think first and foremost they'll take a huge amount from just having won the game. You know, that's a really good feeling in a dressing room Mm. when it's been a tight win. I'd say Leinster's most satisfying win this season was probably away to Leon or away to Munster. For all the thrashings they've meted out to so many other second teams, the one that really has a positive effect in the dressing room is when you have to really earn it, when you have to dig deep. Especially a real physical game. Yeah, I mean, I think they got away with it slightly, to be honest. Mm. I think there's a lot that needs to be improved. They uh, lost the collisions. There was a lot of soaking tackles, but then followed by great defiance on their own line. Like the Scots had 10 visits to the Irish 22 and um, Ireland engineered eight turnovers in, the tw- in their own 22, which I don't remember Ireland ever having to do this at home in the Aviva against anybody. Um, and so that was a bit unnerving. I do think they got a little bit lucky that Finn Russell wasn't playing. In that last drive of the match, Hastings played very well, varied his game very nicely. And um, that last break when McAnally steams onto his ball and he releases Hamish Watson, they get into 22. Tyke Furlan, of all people, tracks him down and makes the tackle. That's where he injured his calf. And they then go through another 13 phases inside the R22 and Adam Hastings didn't touch the ball once. Like there's no way on earth Finn Russell is going to stand back in the pocket and let the forward and do take that. that. Yeah, accept that. The yeah. essential difference in the side and one, one of the, the best moment of the match from Ireland's point of view, from the attacking point of view, was when it looked like they were going to do that as they normally do, as Leinster do, just one off, one off, one off and just eventually go, get over the line. They actually, classic poker play, they actually set up a two-man pod and James Ryan passes to Keane Healy, who swivels and pops it back to Conor Murray. Jordan Larmer, great line. Murray times his pass to perfection. Sexton through the hole. Compare and contrast that with that last drive of the Scots when Hastings didn't touch the ball once. But I think it was a, we were a bit lucky that uh, Finn Russell didn't play because I can't believe Russell would have stood back in the pocket and wouldn't have converted w- one of ten visits to the 22 mm. into the hard currency of a try. Ringrose and Larmer would have got in trouble for their 
looseness from the previous regime, I think. But it was whatever, you know, people have been screaming out for this. And I thought Ringrose in the first half, it's a, it's a shame now because they have to change the way they, they picked it. I'd nearly push for Will Addison to get in there because this shows the value of a creative second distributor. He was almost, he ran, at one stage Ringrose went to the touchline and then went back with an offload for Conway up to, to go into space. He put Bundy a key in space and now he's broken his thumb. But Larmer... So Ringrose <coughs> is going to be out for a few weeks. He's, been, he's definitely Jerry's going to be out for four weeks, yeah. Four weeks, he's, I've been told he's going to be out for. He mm. will be back for the last two games as a fractured thumb. Which is really important because it looks like they were going to build their everything, their second their second phase around him, the second kind of level of attack. Um, Larmer, there was this moment in when he caught the ball in the 22 and he looked up and it was like, oh, he's going to kick. Like Murray kept kicking a lot and it was because, mm. of, the, it was because of the conditions and it was because of, well, well they're used to getting their territory further up the field. Larmer went, oh, there's Stuart Hogg, I'm going to take him on. And just ran at him, sidestepped him, got past him and chipped the defence. And after the ball was gone, he was tripped up by Hogg and Reynal, who had, I think, a career-worst game as a referee. <laughs> he, he missed that, amongst a million other things. I told missed Johnny, a lot, the official uh, between them. It wasn't just yeah. him. They missed so much. Yeah, like Sexton had, on three occasions, he was like, okay, I'm not going to lose it here. It's the first half. I'm the captain of Ireland for the first time in Dublin. He was going over going, you know, you should look at that. You got that wrong. Hey, I heard it. You uh, could hear him on TV going, he was about to go, if, when you look at the telly behind you. If Ireland had lost the game, like yeah. because that, for example, that Larmer one could have been one of this sensational try. You know, it, there was a little bit of space in behind and he was denied getting after it. So they did, they did do what uh, people wanted them to do, but, it was quite. It was a little bit loose, you know. It was play with you in front of you, which is what people want. So, but be careful what you wish for, kind of a thing. Uh, it, they, I think they would have lost this. It was great that it was Scotland first because Scotland didn't have the uh, the heads, as you said. They didn't have the Finn Russell to put Ireland away. But I think Wales would have won that game. I think England and France would have won that game. Scotland were good. They were better than we thought they would be. Perhaps they were really aggressive. They were, and they I, really challenged yeah, them defensively. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were motivated by Yokohama, no doubt about it. They wanted to put bang to rights. They weren't going to get blown away early on. That wasn't going to happen again. And uh, their line speed and defence was much better. Their work in the collisions was much better. And I tell you what, they did as well. They stymied Ireland's line out. Ireland's got their first try off a line out. The, the one decent maul they got going in Scottish twenty two in five attempts, and it led to the try. And Ireland scored nine of their 12 tries last year in the Six Nations with, off their lineup being the source. Mm. And it's generally their go-to method of, of opening up a team, of starting the platform for all their tries scoring tracks, and it was again on Saturday. But in the second half, four times they had attacking lineouts, and each time the Scots sacked them all and they got no go forward off. Now they got a couple of three-pointers, but they only once did the all get going again. Ironically, that was after Devon Toner came on. They got a decent enough mall there in halfway. But the Scots stymied them at source and... Uh, that, you know they they struggled then after that because of that because they they built so much off their line out but I do think about the counter attacking Gavin I agree with you like Lamer I think he had more than twice as many meters as any other player now often the fullback does get a lot of the meters because he's running the ball back so he's got a, a ten meter run on just to get mm. it before he runs into traffic Rob Carney often had the most meters as well for sure. Ireland but I just think if that is going to evolve he has to link more with his wingers and maybe with Gary Ringrose or whoever else. I don't remember him passing once in one of those con- counter-attacks. So that just needs to evolve as well. But there's there's, a, there's green shoots of something different happening for sure. I thought they used the blind side a little bit more. Um, and we have to give mention to Johnny Sexton as well. He'll only get sharper. That's his first game in eight weeks and he, I thought he played really well. Gavin, from the point of view of Andy Farrell, what changes could you see? Or, or I obviously would say Joe Schmidt has gone so... He he was there so recently, and there's so much of the coaching ticket is the same. We're not expecting like completely a revolution, but was there evolution? 
Um, not yet. Um, but th- that wasn't going to come in five training sessions. You yeah. know, um, the, uh, the, you should put together a little piece of uh, the clips of Andy Farrell in the coach's box. It was calm, a little bit aggressive epileptic <laughs> and then relief at the end it was just each kind of played at the key moments he was up the, sh- the jacket was off by the end he was down at the front of the, at the window he mm. was it was fascinating to watch what he asked for was true grit and he was pretty happy afterwards that they gave that to him I think for Andy Farrell now the, the key thing the real test of him as a head coach is the team selection for this week because and, and the tactics and how they play and all that and I think Easterby has a big handle in things like before the game, we were watching the warm up, and it was oh, it seemed a bit it seemed like there was four whistles, you know. We were used to kind of a much more compact, tighter one, and in a way, it was good, you know. But it's also like oh, okay, they're they're still finding their feet a little. But um, I think if Ireland don't make the changes, like for example, Ian Henderson, brilliant. I thought he had a brilliant game either side of the ball. I, I was just watching him for long periods of time. Physicality, uh, getting over balls, should have got a mo- few more turnovers, just like he was in Yokohama against Scotland three four months ago. And then six days later, he just didn't have those levels again. So I don't know if Henderson can play like that again. We all know James Ryan can and all that. I don't know if Doris and Kilcoyne can get back from those head injuries. So I think it demands certain change to the team because you want to have, if they've lost four bodies against in this game, if they lose, if you go again, they're going to lose more. You want to have them in good shape by the time they get to Twickenham. You don't want to have this, this squad in tatters. So I think it's important that he changes up the team like we should say you know? we should say it. so we're recording around half 10 on Monday morning <coughs> here for anyone listening uh, the, the injury updates are, are sort of happening as we speak so we we don't know who's available all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. so ju- that's the context in, in which we're talking here yeah. so but take it from there like do we think uh, was there any indication that, that Doris will be back can be no back no indication whatsoever it's un- it's a un- Cruelly unfortunate for him because mm. his first Heineken Cup debut um, ended almost identically against Benetton. And th- as Gavin wrote this morning, that might be a factor. Y- you almost wouldn't like to see him and Kilcoyne mm. play mm. this week because of just this, the sight of them going off. Like, clearly, I'm no medical expert, but it looked like they but were almost knocked out. You'd almost be uncomfortable about them both playing again yeah. a week later. I think also Andy Farrell is on record as saying it's a long tournament. And he wants to, you know, he, I don't think he's going to play players if there's a, if there's a doubt about them. So that will, could be two or three or four enforced changes. And I don't think there'll be many more beyond that if yeah. those two or three or four are enforced on him. For example... the fourth one is, is, is a possibility of furlong. Furlong, yeah. yeah. A calf injury is a calf injury, you know what I mean? So you'd worry about that. I presume Jack McGrath would come into the squad if Kilcoyne was ruled out. You'd presume CJ Strand would revert to eight and Peter Armani would come in at six. Max Maybe Deegan Max Deegan Deegan on the bench. Yeah, Max, Max Deegan on the bench. But you couldn't drop... I don't think CJ Stander or Peter Amani because yeah. they were superb yeah. in defence particularly CJ. His workload is just ridiculous and he, he won two brilliant turnovers the match ceiling one at the end as well. It was well. his best game for Ireland. Yeah, well. well top three of his best yeah, games. Yeah, it was one of his best and Peter, look, they both looked like they had a point to prove because of Doris's elevation to the team right, yeah. which is ironic because Doris then of course was gone after four yeah, minutes. Yeah. So I think that, would be, that might, they might have two or three enforced changes. They'll obviously go back to a a Bundyaki, Robbie Henshaw midfield. I think they will do that. But what about that's why? Because if you go back to that, you, you, we just the creative elements and the way. No, no, I hear where you're coming from, but um, I don't think they're going to drop Henshaw. Do you and Brendan Addison at thirteen? <laughs> no, I don't think they're going to do it. But Addison at thirteen or Farrell to a lesser extent is just you, everything. Henshaw brings everything that you want to a game except a creative element. You know what I mean? As in, like a really natural playmaking element that Addison definitely can do, um, and he can play centre. Now, yeah, it is. It is a stretch, but and it's it's very hard not to put Henshaw back in your team as the next guy up. But it's the same thing as like, do you want to keep going on the track that you're on? You know, and again, we we talked about Larmer. Like, 
the, the importance of ring rows to Larmor, or the importance of creative elements to Larmor, is is, is that's why I'd I'd, mm. they, I'd consider it. It is slightly left field, but you're. I was thinking of you, Jerry, at halftime when ring Rose, when when I heard that ring rows had gone off injured, and as you were saying here last week, that in all of Schmidt's time, yes, so rarely had yes. the choice, to, like had his own agency in making the choice, but any two of Aki. Bring Rose once in, in almost and, three and, years, and, once, and, and yet all again, three, and yet again, yet again the jinx strikes yeah. again, yeah. and he won't have all three of them for the next two games at least. Um, yeah, it's it's uncanny the way this injury jinx just keeps afflicting the Irish midfield. There is Chris Farrell back, back there in reserve as well, so it's not like Ireland aren't well stocked, but it's a shame because I think now it's actually come to the stage where the first centre out of the out of the three or four named the team every time at the moment certainly would be Gary Ringrose. Mm because the form he's in, because the try scoring he's bringing to his game at the moment, but also just because of that creativity that Gavin talks about. He's the most natural 13 of all of those available. So he is a loss when you're looking to open up a Welsh defence. The other selection issue, as ever, will be scrum half. I see the Indo today and Tony Ward saying it's time for Cooney to start. Um, I'd be interested what you think. I, I went back and looked the match and looked it again quite closely, particularly at Murray's game. And I was actually, I went back looking at it with an open mind. Because a really good judge, somebody I respect uh, hugely, um, a colleague in the press box who's now retired, reckons that Cooney should start. And he said that he met two former internationals and the first thing they said was that Cooney should start. I went back and looked at it again and I actually think Conor Murray played quite well. Mm. You know, I really did. I thought his box kicking was very good. Um, it was at times more the lack of contest in the air that wasn't his fault. They were on the money. One long kick led to a penalty. He found one very long good touch. I thought his passing was quite good. He, found an, he got another penalty off his worst kick of the game when um, Fraser Brown oh, yeah, blatantly yeah, body-checked yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Andrew Conway, yeah. said, as did Sam Johnson later on for the score that clinched the game from Sexton's up and under. So the, the kicking game actually got some reward. Um, I thought it was passed for Sexton. It didn't look like much, but look at it again. He actually does delay it a fraction and helps fix Hugh Jones in the defensive line as well to create that hole. I thought that uh, he ran well at times. And I generally, but, but the most stupid thing he did was actually give away the penalty before he was hauled off. Cooney looked very composed, very confident, did very well when he came on. But I'm not sure changing the scrum half next time up is the right thing to do at was all. I'd, I'd, of, I'd keep Murray. Was definitely. it the kind of game that that sort of changed nothing? That that he sort of passed his driving test, mm. you know, and you know, put in a, 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 an entirely passable game. And and if that's the case, then what does it take? Like. Do, do, does it need him to have a terrible game and Ireland lose before John Cooney gets a go, or or how do they? How do I they don't work know. That? They might might come to round four and they might decide let's give Cooney his first start. You know, the, sometimes in the past, I remember round four games have been used to the Italy like game. You, you mean you rotate mm. the, the side a bit? Yeah, I I I just think Murray's safe because changes have to occur elsewhere. You know, right. um, so I think Porter needs to start a, a test match, um, and it's not because you're, you're dropping Keane Healy or yeah, Dyke yeah, Furlong. It's because yeah. you need to put them on the bench. You know, that's what I meant about Henderson as well. Like he, he was he was brilliant, but let's turn them into let's turn this into a world class bench against the Welsh. Because I promise you, you're going to need a world class bench. You're going to need world class impacts against the Welsh. Like you thought that game was attritional on Saturday, just goes up another notch. Ireland Wales games, just go back through them. The ball stays in play for way too long. There's going to be bodies dropping everywhere. Um, and the, the, like the the centres thing has been unlucky, but there's a reason why it's an attritional position, you know. And that's why we keep losing players. That's why we keep losing back row players, you know. Wales will. Uh 
Wales arrive here next Saturday having won 10 of their last 11 competitive matches. Mm. They're the reigning Grand Slam champions mm. and the World Cup semi-finalists. And they know how to beat <laughs> Ireland. They know to just go straight at it. Pace, you make them pace, favorites? pace. As things stand, I was thinking about that this morning. I would be a little bit worried about next Saturday. I've got to confess. I almost mm. would make Wales favourites. What do you think? Um, yeah, slightly. Yeah, well, yeah. I would definitely because of what happened in Cardiff in the rain last March where uh, I, I really thought Ireland and, I thought Ireland were a better rugby team than Wales. And then when it came to that game, they just, they, they just were not. And mm. so right now, all the evidence from the last year tells us that Wales is a better team. Um, the only thing I would say is that Wales were at home that day. Um, Joe got it wrong with the roof. When you fall behind in a slashing rain, it's so much harder to play catch-up, mm. as England discovered yesterday, as Scotland discovered in Yokohama. Um, so this time Ireland are at home. And if the weekend showed anything, it was a reminder of how difficult it is to get away wins in this competition. Mm. Three home wins. I think the crowd may be more up for it. I thought they were a little bit subdued, un- subdued until Larmer got hand-tripped by Hogg. That seemed to bring them into the game. It was 69 minutes before we heard the first fields of Athenry, which is usually about 65 minutes longer than... <laughs> we'd, have, we'd, have, we'd have loads of Metallica, though, on the sound system. I love that. Yeah. I thought that it was... was t- <laughs> 10 seconds before kickoff. It was like, That's you don't awesome. need to generate atmosphere 10 seconds before <laughs> kickoff of a, of a Six Nations but if game. You, but if you're going to do it, but enter Sandman, why not? Fanny Farrell liked it, actually. He said he, but he couldn't hear it in the coach's box because it was soundproof. But I have, just going back to it, Andy Farrell, uh, he, what he, he's going to give us the, Ar- the Ireland team tomorrow, and I think this is his... This is where you find out about... This is where he finds out about how good he is as a head coach. Because... To just try and go again and get all those return to play protocol boys back up in place and from concussions and I think he's going to have to make like changes that he didn't want to make and that's the mark. Mm. That's like, that's the thing that kind of nailed J- Joe Schmidt's tenure. He didn't want to make these. He wanted to play different teams, but injury is mm. what got him in the end. That's what's going to come. That's what's coming after Andy Farrell in the Six Nations. I do. Love, I, that's why I love. I do love the Six Nations. It's exactly kicking up in a, uh, a degree, and you only have to wait a week. And so, we've got Twickenham so in three weeks' three time. And, you know? and yeah. next week as well, after the Iron Wales game, you've got Scotland v England, yeah. which is like a title eliminator yeah, now yeah, exactly. after both yeah. lost. Yeah. England are going to Murrayfield. Scots are going to be hugely up for that. Scots beat them there two years ago and drew in Twickenham from something like thirty-one nil down a year ago. That's it's Finn Russell's mm. phone on. Where, is, where, where <laughs> yeah, are you, Finn? I, I don't know about that. Like listening to. Gregor Townsend afterwards he doesn't I don't know if there's a door open there for Finn Russell I don't think I think he might have closed mm. on himself well, they wouldn't have beaten England two years ago if it wasn't for him do you remember that pass I do yeah like a meteor from outer space alright <laughs> uh, thank you very much we will chat to you next weekend or next Monday indeed thank you very cheers. much cheers talk to you then cheers. fun times again for the FAI Pat oh yeah yeah <laughs> a lot of fun times a lot in the of fun FAI times uh, uh, and when when it is time for fun with the FAI it is time for Emmett Malone how are you Emmett? oh I'm great great <laughs> enjoying it enjoying every minute of it uh, listen so uh, last Friday uh, uh, a bailout that we're not supposed to call a bailout was uh, agreed with the FAI uh, around uh, 18 million from the state and sundry other from sundry others is that about it? Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, uh, 18, 19 million from the state. Um, the guts of the same again from uh, UEFA and uh, Bank of Ireland, in one form or another. Um, so, you know, a, a pretty dramatic um, result for the FAI in the end. Uh, they had gone to the government in, in early, ja- in early uh, December looking for 18 million essentially in either cash or guarantees. And they appear all told to have come out with about twice that um at this stage i mean you know some fortuitous timing in terms of the uh, the election no doubt uh, so a change of leadership 
uh, and a little possibly more ambition shown in 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 the uh, the plan that they went to the, the to the government with. Um, uh, you know, something that takes them not just out of uh, out of kind of serious peril, but also um, gives them some sort of um, opportunity to invest in key sectors of the game. Most obviously, the League of Ireland and the women's game. I think they they are seen to be the two big winners out of this uh, as things stand. Uh, a situation that looked very dicey and perilous, yeah. say in the run up to Christmas, say late November uh, and whatever, has has this sorted it out, or or is this uh, a sort of a temporary thing? Um, well, it's certainly given the the association, the basis on which to sort it out. That's I okay. think the, the, I think that's the line that they would uh, suggest here. Um, they have got the finances stay in place. They need to kind of take a look at what they're doing. I think that's the way they would put it. We had a situation a couple of months ago where people were very seriously talking behind the scenes about a third of the staff going. And not 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 you know not the people who were going to make those decisions, not the not the Paul Cooks um of the world. I mean I certainly he never would have said that to me and any anybody who's in a position. But a lot of people around the game were were talking about that being the understanding that they were operating on that anything up to a third of the staff out there could lose their jobs. And and at that time the kind of sense was that you know there was there was talk of you know there were programs that maybe the FAI you know couldn't they were luxury programs as far as that you know that that you could argue that really wasn't core to what the FAI were doing and some of this stuff was kind of remarkable it was a it was the programs that work you know with with disadvantaged mm-hmm. uh, groups in the community where they disabled uh, uh, special needs children uh, elderly people you know people were and the, the argument was going that you know when when people from the FAI kind of talked to fans or stakeholders I guess is the, is the term that everyone bandies around now that nobody ever asked them about these programs though what they got asked about was the national team and where are we developing young players mm. and you know the future of our qualification for tournaments and stuff like that and so and so there was a, a, a fear that those sort of areas could be chopped and I think the sense was that the FAI was hoping it could offload the employment of the regional development officers that implemented those plans to other, other kind of parties uh, primarily council um, uh, in some cases, League of Ireland clubs and, and that. But it's gone beyond that. I think the, the, the sense is now that there is the funding there for them to do, I think the term that they would use would be a more strategic review of their operations. And it won't be driven, the bottom line won't be that it needs to be driven by making very substantial cost savings. It will be something that they at least, you know, sit down and, and, and work on the basis that they're trying to make it a better association. Uh, and that's and that's a very different thing, I think, you know, to uh, to simply having to save X amount of money. So, yeah, look, it seems to have been a very, very good result. And it's it's um, it's it shows uh, what bringing a different perspective in into the organization can do. Uh, it is also a good result for the lads from, you know, Quinn's group, because there was some unease at the fact that, um, Roy Barrett had appointed had been appointed independent chair. Uh, there had been a process then for the interim CEO's job, but um, but another member of uh, of 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 Quinn's group, uh, Gary Owens, uh, got that job, and then without any process whatsoever, he appointed Nal Quinn as deputy uh, interim CEO. So there was some unease about that. There was some unease that it was sort of a reverse takeover by a group who hadn't really. 
um, set the world on fire up until that. I mean, they had published a 30-page document last year, kind of strategy document, which nobody was kind of overwhelmed by the quality of. Um, Quinn has since said that they took the best stuff out of that document because they decided at the last minute that they didn't want to, um, uh, you know, provide an opportunity for other groupings to kind of take their best ideas. Right. Uh, but the reality is that what we saw wasn't great, and yet we now see these people essentially, you know, running, you know, in, occupying key elements, key posts in the association but it's but it's gone well like their first outing um has been a success and uh and i think there's still be a, a you know I, I i've certainly talked to people around the association who were very skeptical about what was going on who have to kind of ex- acknowledge that this was a, a very good day for the association structurally Emmett, has has much changed uh say in the in in the last 12 months uh in terms of like is there is there will there be oversight now where where there wasn't before yeah yeah i think look i, I mean i uh, you know we've all heard the stuff about the independent directors there were delays in those independent directors coming coming in uh there was more than one reason for that but a key reason was that you know the 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 the, the um the report the cozy report that everyone seemed to regard as a due diligence for these people um was was sent to the guards and so people didn't get access to it and uh and so there was concern about whether you know whether those people would want to come in in those conditions uh everything got delayed into december um but i think to, look ob- obviously they're in place now or at least three of them are um that in itself brings a level of of outside scrutiny that um that simply didn't exist before i mean uh, you know uh, obviously it's very difficult to be sure about these things but it's very hard to imagine that the John Delaney era would have happened in the way that it had happened um, if genuinely independent directors um, were appointed. Now, I remember talking to Alistair Gray only a year or two ago. Um, uh, he was writing a book. Uh, he's the guy who authored the Genesis report. And um, and he did actually uh, recommend in that report that there be a couple of independent directors. But to my astonishment, we, we met and uh, we chatted about kind of, you know, what had, all that had happened at the FAI. It was obviously before things really fell apart for Delaney. Um, um, uh, but to my astonishment, he felt that Delaney kind of going out into the world and getting a couple of directors from, like, say, you know, some guy from AIB and some guy from, um, you know, I, I don't know, like, a, a, you know, just two independent business people um, and appointing them uh, as long as they w- weren't, you know, deeply involved in football, that, that would count as as, um, as independent. And I was really taken aback by that. Uh, I, I, in, in ways, I thought if 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 the authors of the genesis report would have you know endorsed that line of action i'm kind of surprised that delaney didn't do it um but what we've had here is the people who've come from outside they have been approved ultimately by a nominations committee within the association but they've essentially been nominated or put to that committee by an outside recruitment agency and there's a level of independence here that i think would mean you know that if if things got out of hand in anywhere near i mean you hear some of the stuff that went on at board level previously and you're just stunned by it you know yeah. and uh, and i think um i think the people we're talking about now the type of people we're talking about now and i don't know any of them uh, personally um but um you would you would presume they would simply walk out and explain why they were walking out uh, if some of that stuff was uh, attempted um so i think that 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 improves the situation um ross has wrung a whole bunch of new concessions out of the association i i think you know the fact that um Donald Conway was gone and that you know how Roy Barrett Mm. essentially an outsider as chair uh, meant that you know I think the government was probably pushing an open door here Niall Quinn had expressed 
severe disappointment last year that uh, that the governance review had uh, recommended only four independent directors. I think he, I think Quinn's the sense I got from Quinn at the time was he would have been happy to see an almost entirely independent board. I mean, I think that the the, the game um, has some right to have a significant role in its own governance, but um, but that's you know splitting hairs. I mean, the thing here is that Ross has now pushed. For an extra two independents, so the split will go to 50-50, six independents, six from within the game. Uh, so there's going to be a bit, a bit, another bit of a kind of bloodbath over the coming months as to what sectors lose out there. Um, uh, direct uh, Members of council with more than 10 years service uh, all have to go by the summer. Uh, people who've previously served on the board of the association won't be allowed to sit on as even significant committees from here on in. And there's three or four of them had popped up in recent weeks on key committees. Um, so a, a lot going on there. I think I think it will be different. I think um, there are there are some time servers that are going to still be involved for sure. Um, but I think there'll be more of a shakeup. I think there'll be a need to bring um, young younger. Uh, fresher kind of uh, people through to to serve on committees and boards. Uh, I think that they that will that working with a mix of outsiders um, should should substantially change the culture of the whole place over a period of time. I mean, what's your um, I, I, certainly the idea of like uh, board capture this uh, this yeah. term that's applied to mm-hmm. essentially what Delaney managed to pull off with the with the uh, board previously. I just can't see how that could happen again. I think, but never say never. You know. Um, um, there were a lot of people who thought Genesis was going to sort things, so um, so you know uh, we'll we'll see. And among the sort of rank and file, uh, your your sort of general FAI employee, mm. like is there? I guess there, is there a sense of relief at the, uh, oh, at yeah, this stage? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, look, I mean uh, Ross for all his flaws, uh, he made a bunch of commitments over the course of this thing, and I, I wondered at, at times whether some of those commitments were were terribly well thought out. He painted himself into quite a corner, it seemed, with the association. Uh, but the change of directors gave him an out. Um, he put everything, the, the previous intransigence, down to the fact that he was dealing with people he regarded as FA insiders. Um, uh, when he was talking on the on the on the door uh, a step of the um, Department of Sport on was it Thursday? I can't remember now. Friday, Thursday or Friday, Friday. Was it Friday? Yeah. Um, uh, he, the, the guarantee that there would be no compulsory redundancies amongst low to middle paid staff um, out in the FAI was was very prominent in what he was saying, and it it, it did seem clear that he had set a lot of store by that, and uh, that will have to come as a huge relief. I mean, I certainly talked to people out in the FAI who were very concerned about their jobs, uh, and the, the profile of those people shifted slightly over the course of the process, but um, but there's no doubt that a great many people out there you know, were worried that they were going to lose their jobs. And if you're working in football, I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot, a lot of number of places to go. The FAI, this is, this is how one of the key elements of John Delaney's um, power out there was that uh, the FAI was really the only serious employer in the game in the country? So if you fell out with them, if you uh, if you lose your job with them, whatever, there's there's really nowhere else to go. So um, you know, a, a handful of clubs employ a tiny number of people. Um, beyond that, it's it's really kind of quite quite run of the mill admin jobs. So. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think that uh, I think that's been a huge uh, um, one of one of the huge positives out of this that people have had their jobs appear to be secure. I think there maybe they were saying that there might be some some job losses. Um, 
losing numbers is not good. Uh, uh, the, the numbers envisaged seem to be very small, but the fact that they will be, you know, uh, voluntary uh, in low to middle earners uh, is obviously a positive. Um, there seems to be this door being left open, and uh, the, the Dennis Hines, the SIP2 representative who represents a lot of the RDOs, had suggested that it had been suggested to him that there might be a shift towards kind of job losses at the higher earning end. Um, I would say that in some of those roles, say commercial or whatever, there would at least be opportunities to go elsewhere. It would, they wouldn't right, be so yeah. football specific. But look, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the sense certainly seems to be that this is what we're looking at here now is absolutely nothing to what we had been looking at uh, two, three months ago. Uh, Emmett, uh, as uh, it, it is the week of an election and I give you a mm. promise, I give you a promise that has the strength of a Shane Ross election promise. <laughs> I will have you in here to talk football at some Woo! stage, I promise. Uh, uh, but for now, thank you very much for your dispatch from inside the world of the FAI. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Cheers, Emmett. Uh, Cheers. Thank you to Gavin and Jerry who were in earlier talking about the rugby. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. Go to bed. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Suzanne behind the desk and uh, thanks to everybody out there. We will talk to you all next week.